Monday Night Raw for November 12th, 2018. We opened up the show with a tribute to our veterans for Veterans Day. Uh, it's not about what you think you know about the country. It's about what goes on to keep our freedoms as compared to, you know, second and even third world countries, you know, uh, somewhat free. I think that we all should take the time and honor those that have had their own reasons why they've gone overseas to, you know, take on whatever quoted bad guys in the name of democracy on again in the name of keeping certain freedoms we have as compared to other countries free or at least close to it so with that being said let's get into the show so we start off with uh, everybody in the ring for uh the tag team uh survivor series match we're gonna have 10 on 10 everybody on everybody I usually really enjoy these types of matches if we're looking at it from a pure storyline standpoint. It's saying that there's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot of power, and you could at any day get pinned in less than five minutes. So with all of that energy running around the ring, you, uh, you're just going to want to have to keep your head on a swivel times 10 or 20 in this fashion. So we've got... You know, all the entire Raw Tag Team division, pretty much, along with the Lucha House Party, who is clearly working their way up the the ladder of popularity, because I honestly have liked them since their inception on 205, and uh, it gave each and every one of them a, an, a direction to go in, and, you know, come on, who doesn't like a good... Uh, who doesn't like the fun that they bring to the ring? Let's say it like that. So, uh, we've got all three of them. We've got the B team. We've got the Ascension. And we've got we got the Revival. We've got a ton of teams in there all vying for the captain's spot in the Survivor Series tag team matchup. But then we get Braun Strowman coming to the ring to clear everything. He's clearly upset about uh, what happened with Corbin last week with them running off. And, of course, obviously dating back to his Universal Championship match against Brock Lesnar back at Crown Jewel, where assistant or uh, acting general manager Corbin uh, hit him in the back of the head with the championship title. And, oh man, since it's been, it's just, you can just tell it's going to be hell to pay for Baron Corbin because of his decision regarding that. A part of me thought that Braun Strowman was going to bring back Nicholas from WrestleMania, which would have been hilarious, but I don't think that Nicholas is old enough yet. I don't think he's 18 to be able to, uh, you know, legitimately compete for the tag team championships, but... Uh, and also, I mean, you know, authors of pain, but our current tag champs are pretty big. I don't even know if Braun could uh, handle all of that girth. So, obviously, Braun comes out, completely clears the entire battle royal. 
there to no tag team is considered winner. We uh, I guess we'll just have to cover uh that part of the match maybe later tonight if there's room on the card. But uh, again, Braun came through, beat up everybody, ran around the ring, shoulder tackled everybody to where they couldn't breathe anymore. Stepped outside. Only Heath and Bobby Roode were in the ring. Heath tried to throw Bobby Roode toward him, but it didn't work, and both of them were able to escape. Braun Strowman, you know, came in with his chair and simply took a seat in order to, uh, you know, speak to the crowd. By the way, this episode of Sports Entertainment Advocacy is brought to you by Twizzlers, because you can't be serious with Twizzlers. So while we have Strowman in the ring, uh, taking Monday Night Raw hostage, essentially, we are rescued by the theme music of our Royal Commissioner, Stephanie McMahon, who comes out, of course, looking ready for biz and steps directly to Strowman and tells him, look, man, you cannot, you cannot take Raw hostage. We all understand that you're still upset about what happened with acting general manager Corbin, but you cannot take Raw hostage. So with Stephanie attempting to have him understand that she understands what his plight is, but he can't do that. She goes on to, you know, give us why she was really out there. You know, she was, you know, on on the show to have to rally all of the raw troops to beat SmackDown come Survivor Series because what Shane did back, you know, at Crown Jewel was, you know, she didn't like it. She was a little mad, and, you know, me personally, again, I'm just happy with a McMahon being best in the world. I thought it was a hilarious dig, and plus Shane was fairly humble about it. He was attempting to represent the SmackDown brand and didn't want them to go down to forfeit. Clearly, Sister Stephanie isn't trying to hear that and demands that everyone care about bringing Raw a win for a third time in a row, third year in a row, as far as Survivor Series goes. Braun doesn't really give a damn about Shane, nor does he give a damn about, you know, a lot of things, clearly, but, you know, Stephanie has a different type of energy, and she's not about to just let him tell her what he doesn't care about, so... She reminded him about what he should be caring about. And, you know, apparently he was on board. Of course, Stephanie, being a genius businesswoman, goes into a form of negotiation with Braun. Again, reminding him that Roy has been on a tear or how they have a two-win streak at Survivor Series against SmackDown. And she asks him to win the match, lead the team to victory, just like last year, and then he can essentially have whatever he wants. 
Baron isn't really one to fall for the quoted corporate manipulation tactics, but he does know when he has something that, well, he has an opportunity to get what he wants. So they begin to, well, they continue negotiating. Stephanie offers him anything. And uh, Baron, not Baron, excuse me, Braun asked for a rematch at the Universal Championship, which was granted. He asked for Baron Corbin, which was granted. He asked for the stipulations to be whatever he picks. It was granted. And then he asked for a waiver. So he wouldn't be responsible for any damages. And, you know, Steph said she has to do a little bit of her magic backstage, but it could essentially happen. But Braun cannot touch Baron until after Survivor Series. You know, along with the fact that he leads the team to victory, but we'll just have to see what happens. Everyone is kind of sleeping on Team SmackDown. I'm not really feeling that too much, but we'll have to see what happens tonight on SmackDown Live on the USA Network. Stephanie goes on to remind Braun, excuse me, Braun Strowman that he isn't, I mean, she isn't attempting to manipulate anyone. She's only here to motivate, you know, everyone on the Raw roster to be the best member of the roster that they can possibly be, whether it be man, monster, you know, machine, woman, champion, it doesn't matter. But... Whilst she's beginning to share what she is so good at doing, out comes our Royal Women's Champion, Ronda Rousey. And she, well, she's, of course, happy to see the crowd, but she is not necessarily happy to uh, grace the ring with Stephanie and not be, you know, um, I, I don't really want to say violent, but... She looks like she wants to kick some ass. So Ronda Rousey comes down to the ring and uh, clearly isn't in the mood for anything. She's ready to, again, kick some ass. And we're looking at her grab a mic from Stephanie. Almost bully levels, but, you know, we're going to let her get get a pass on that once or twice. Because, you know, she is Ronda Rousey. But... I mean, take no disrespect towards Stephanie, you know. But, again, we're looking at her say how annoyed she is with Becky Lynch. And we all do know that her and Becky have a match coming up this Sunday at Survivor Series, streaming live on the WWE Network. And it's, as Michael Cole quite simply said, must see. I think anybody who enjoys watching the product from a non-critical standpoint, just looking at the show and looking at the character development, I think one can really appreciate what what's taking place as far as the women's evolution goes. And as far as the males right now, well, whilst uh, Ronda Rousey shares her annoyances with Stephanie and the SmackDown Women's Champion, 
we get acting general manager Corbin to come out and essentially save the day, slow things down and relax the well calm the chaos, if you will. So Baron comes out to essentially calm the chaos, like I said, and he you know, slowly <laughs> approaches the ring. Careful to not make any sudden moves near a monster regardless of whatever agreements were made and he you know clearly provides a little bit more context as to why this sunday is so important he's here to motivate the raw talent and make sure everyone keeps a fairly cool head you know he's uh, leaning in a little closer toward Ronda Rousey and lets her know that she can't get overconfident because, and it's not just Ronda, it's everyone, but we can't just fly over the fact that SmackDown definitely did grab a win at the World Cup where Shane McMahon became best in the world, whether you like it or not. Now, I don't know about this next part with putting his hand on Ronda Rousey's shoulder, but I think he was attempting to share with her what a good manager does and what is or at least should be capable of doing. But as we recall, Ronda Rousey is not in the best of moods. Some would argue that Becky has a slight upper hand on her by way of the promo segments that have taken place leading up to this pay-per-view. Uh, if we're doing just a small bit of uh, her story back at Evolution, lining up those two matches between Ronda Rousey and Nikki Bella and Charlotte and Becky, you know, on their respective brands. In my personal opinion, and I believe the majority opinion is, that Becky and Charlotte stole the show. However, it was Ronda Rousey and Nick, Nikki Bella that main evented. Now, I'm okay with the ordering of the show. Maybe, you know, the champ isn't. And I could understand why she wouldn't be because of just how the match, those matches went and the reception to them. But regardless... Right now, I I know it's very arguable that Becky has the slight edge, you know. There's no one thus far that has come this close to being a believable winner against Ronda Rousey. I'm still thinking about it, so I'll provide my predictions. Maybe the night of NXT War Games. Or, or yeah, we'll figure that out in time. But right now, I'm still looking at the the last bits of what their campaigning is doing. So we'll see what happens, and we'll continue on. Ronda Rousey, though, got extra points added to her side if we're looking because she flipped over acting general manager with absolutely no repercussions. Talk about saying something. Just as Michael Cole even said. Let her 
So after Baron Corbin gets flipped over by a real women's champion, Ronda Rousey, uh, you know, she takes her championship title, leaves the ring, and uh, we're looking at Baron Corbin not paying attention to the monster standing directly behind him. Once he figures out that, uh, you know, Braun is behind him, they have a very, very intense stare down. Me personally, I always enjoy a good stare down. This time around, I realized that Baron Corbin is actually a lot taller than one would think he is. But, yep, he's very tall, and he's basically eye-to-eye with Braun. You know, Baron Corbin, like the general manager, is also like a former Golden Gloves champion or something of the sort. So, as far as getting and giving hands, he can do it. So you could see the, the the lack of true fear in his eyes, even though you could definitely feel a form of intimidation, you know, from Braun to Baron. And luckily, before these two combustible elements could uh, ignite, if you will, we had our commissioner, Stephanie, uh, get into the middle, remind Braun of the deal they just negotiated in the ring and of course Braun you know he knew but then acting general manager he's again in my opinion slightly immature at times again this is inside of the storyline let's all be mindful of that he's letting it be known that he can't be touched he you can't do anything you have to do what she says because you negotiated this deal and all the rest of that so Stephanie which really gave us a little more insight into the relationship between herself and who she brought on board for real, for who she elevated to another level of Monday Night Raw uh, as far as the roster goes, you know, as far as the hierarchy goes. You know, she's telling him, shut up. She's trying to push him out the ring. If anything, you can see Baron is some sort of really, really annoying old eldest son you know, and she's trying to let him know, look, yo, I did this to keep you safe, but, you know, like, yeah, you're, you're a part of the authority, but you have to act like it. Now, this is the way I read it, just paying attention to the body language and the rest of it. I hope that you're all looking at it in the same fashions, but, again, staying on topic, Stephanie was attempting to keep Baron as safe as possible, and the one thing you don't want to do is poke a monster among men. So, she got him out the ring. Baron was a little reluctant. You go back and you look at it. It's, uh, you can see it all in Baron's face. He was not scared. The only other time I've seen I've seen somebody not that scared was Stephanie against Ronda. But you'd have to go back and see some of those lead-ups. I'm pretty sure you could find the old Raw replay or Raw Rewind on uh, the WWE Network on demand somewhere. But go do that. So, closing out that segment, we move to the backstage area where Tamina is coming to the ring with Nia Jax. Uh, Nia bullies uh, some backstage hands. They run off because of just the energy that is Nia and Tamina. I don't really want to bring up the uh, women's tag team championships, but it definitely looks like players are being positioned for that. Well, again, women's tag championship uh, belts or titles is going to be 
that's that's just going to add a very cool element to the show in my opinion. Either way, looking at the dynamic between Nia Jax and Tamina, I've always had a, a thing, you know, professionally and respectfully, but I always thought Tamina was cool. I don't know why, I just respect her. So I would like for everyone else, regardless of what quote-unquote her skill level says in the ring, if we see her as a powerhouse, then she is now a powerhouse. I see Tamina as a definite powerhouse. She's completely badass and can work her way up. I think her pairing with Nia is uh, one of the better pairings. You know, they're family and they can be a very dominant force, you know, on the, you know, Raw Women's roster together. You know, there are plenty of play, there are plenty of uh, teams that they can take on, or at least plenty of singles competitors they can take on. And since that situation last week, where Nia turned on her friend Ember, you know, now we need to see uh, what Tamina can do because Tamina technically cost the match, of course, Ember the match, or you know, whatever we gonna look at it as. But it just, just wasn't. It was not something that everybody expected, you know. But now we're going to see what Ember has to say about it, and we're going to see if Tamina can defend herself. Correction. Looking at a replay of Raw last week, Nia Jax actually picked up the win in a friendly uh, in a friendly match, friendly competition. Nia won against Ember Moon, but then we had Tamina come out and literally, well, she put her in a a Boston Crab, and then we got a bunch of elbow drops from Nia. So it's it's looking like why, why? But again, we see the family aspect on top of the Royal Women's team needing uh, combatants to go against SmackDown at Survivor Series, streaming live on Sunday, only on the WWE Network. It's going to be bananas. We know Alexa Bliss, who is uh, the team captain, is not going to be in the match but she is definitely providing her leadership skill and trying attempting to put together the most bad ass team possible to go into this i personally think that tamina would be a great pick i would like to see uh ember moon but Maybe just maybe we use Nia Jax. I know that Alexa Bliss is more so of a heel, so I think that we're gonna get, uh, yeah, a more so heel esque team going into the uh, women's tag team match at Survivor Series. So we had a very, you know, fair match. It was a cool little back and forth between Ember and Tamina. There was a couple of spots where Nia was seemingly getting involved, but the major spot was where Ember, you know, did not have to, but decided to uh, attempt a tope out of the ring onto Tamina, but Tamina totally was unfazed, unmoved at all. Ember is down on the floor. This is why it was a bad idea to just get in the midst of you know, the irresistible force, you know, but it is what it is. This uh, ultimately led to Ember attempting to get 
uh, old girl in the corner. She was setting, well, getting to me and into the corner. Did something. She was going up for herself. Attempting the eclipse, I assume. And that was when Naya, you know, butted back into the match and knocked Ember directly off. Setting up Tamina for a giant splash, which gave us the one, two, three victory. I think Tamina needed the victory. I think Ember Moon isn't as hurt as some would assume, and I think it went really, really well. It was a cool match. It makes every it keeps Ember strong. It makes everyone look strong going into Survivor Series and beyond that. So we'll see what happens in the coming weeks as far as these two and their rivalry is concerned, or these three. Pardon me, and the rivalry is concerned. Small thing I definitely noticed between uh, Ember and I and Jax. Let's let's run it back. I remember when Ember was told that she didn't. Oh, excuse me, Nia was told that she didn't have any friends, and her only friend was Ember Moon on the roster. Now Nia has a new, uh, seemingly stronger, bigger friend. I mean, and a family member, you know, and Tamina, and now this leaves Ember. Almost, uh, well, I mean, essentially friendless unless we can find somebody that's going to team up with her and take on this powerhouse duo of Nia Jackson and Tamina. We'll just have to, again, see what happens in coming weeks regarding this rivalry. So moving forward, we have uh, our next uh, segment of the show where Corey Graves is in the ring. We get an in-ring version of Straight to the Source. The last episode I saw straight to the source with Corey Graves, who had, uh, well, we don't really talk about him anymore, so I'm not even going to say his name, but perhaps you should go find it on demand, streaming on the WWE Network. It's straight to the source with Corey Graves, a very, very cool show. It was very nice where, you know, in the time it was on, and I believe we should see it. maybe another season, maybe a couple more episodes in time, but I like it, so you should too. Either way, that's right, if you heard that, it means it was time for the Seth Rollins segment with Corey Graves. And we are going to have a little bit of insight given to us as to why Dean has uh, decided to turn his back on his former show brethren. We know that Seth has been uh, fairly occupied with the Nakamura match coming up, but how focused how focused is he on that match if he has all of this going on in the home front with Dean and how he's been acting recently? By the way, before we continue, this next part of the episode is brought to you in part by WWE Chronicle. Uh, we've got Dean Ambrose uh, this time being chronicled. We know he's got a lot going on. I believe they're going back some weeks ago, you know, from, I believe, well, at least at this point, a few months back to his return, you know, where they chronicle everything that goes on with him. Then up to, I believe, uh, somewhere in these most recent nights. So I think you should go tune into that. It's going to be this Saturday following NXT War Games streaming live on the WWE Network. So, Seth and uh, Corey Graves are in the ring. Graves is asking them some very fair questions about how he feels about the match coming up against 
uh, United States champion Shinsuke Nakamura at Survivor Series this Sunday. And uh, if he could, if he's focused or not, you know, where's his mental space at? Where is he at? Where's his head at regarding all of this? And Seth gives him a, a good response of, you know, right now I'd be lying if I'd say I wasn't focused on the situation with Dean. But come Sunday at Survivor Series, I will be laser focused on the United States champion because he's no slouch, you know. Corey, of course, gave a little bit more clout to Shinsuke, telling us and reminding us that he sees him every week performing on SmackDown Live. And if, you know, Seth doesn't have his head in the game in there with the United States champion, he could get it knocked clean off, which is pretty much factual. You know, it wasn't in that exact order, but if you go back and watch the episode of Raw, then you'll see for yourself exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, regardless of that, though, I think that Seth is more so focused on Dean. That was what his answer was more so leaned toward. And Seth is under the impression that even though Dean isn't stupid, he definitely isn't man enough to explain his actions from, you know, weeks ago on Raw when he did clearly what we all know he did, you know, and turning his back on his shield brother or for, well, what reason? Luckily, for all of us, you know, in the WWE universe, you know, Seth asked him, say, can you tell me that he's not man enough or whatever? And you saw him looking at holes straight through Gravy Gravy, couldn't answer at all. But, uh, you know, there goes Dean up on the Titan Tron to give us uh, some much needed light shedding on the situation. So, Why? Why, Dean? Why? And Dean gave us all of the sarcastic remarks about why he could have done it. But in the end, the real reason is because he has been left under the impression that his brothers have made him weak. He is... He is under the impression that him having his brother's backs made him weak. If you go back to the raw analysis, it's a little bit shorter than this one. But you can clearly hear me convey essentially the same things. You know, him constantly coming in for the save for his brothers. It didn't really give him anything. It made him look like a, you know, a good rider with the team. But it didn't really do anything for him as far as you know the championship scene worked and honestly right now i don't know if dean is looking for a championship run we've seen him you know run around with the intercontinental championship for a while we've seen him as world heavyweight champion you know we've seen him going there against the beast you know brock lesnar no title on the line but when he was by himself he was a lot closer to you know, these championship opportunities. And now when he's, you know, tagged up or when he has to worry about saving his brothers, then they're the ones with the championship gold. And he's just the, you know, lone stallion, you know, just trotting along. This is what it looks and feels like, just looking at what he's attempting to convey in storyline. And, uh... You know, if you take the time to try to feel where he's coming from, I think 
everyone can kind of understand why he's feeling the way he's feeling. That's my humble take on it, but it's up to you guys to decide to, you know, feel it the same way. Dean decided to burn his vest. That is extremely symbolic to saying that he's officially done. Like, do we call the shield dead now? You know, Roman is is out until further notice. And Seth is, you know, the intercontinental champion. And he has to have his focus on the United States champion come Survivor Series on Sunday, you know, 7 Eastern for Pacific. It's going to be, and and then we don't know what Seth has going after that. We don't know what's going to take place. Maybe he'll feud with uh, Dean. Maybe not. Maybe maybe Dean will uh, pop up somewhere at random and just mess up whatever Seth's plans are. You know, who knows? We'll just have to find out. This segment is so powerful, you know. I honestly think it would only be right that we attempt to get some sort of uh, insight from uh, Renee Young. The question for Seth Rollins now is what are you going to do next? But, you know, he's got other things to focus on. D, I mean, Renee thinks that he's speaking in riddles, and we just have to leave it up to Dean to do what it is that Dean's going to do. I, in my opinion, I think it makes for good TV. Tune in next week and see what happens next. So let's get into Drew McIntyre. Like I said last week in overall analysis, I think he is next. I know a lot of the internet has picked up on the idea of him getting a, quote, mega push in uh, 2019. I think right now we are watching the seeds get planted for it. I wouldn't say whether this push is going to begin in 2019 or even if it's going to begin now. I think he's proving to everyone that he's reaching for the brass ring. He has every bit of the tools that we're looking for, you know, Uh Anyone that is selected for this position, you know, has, it's a giant responsibility. You know, I had an old quote about uh, Roman even. I said, if you don't like Roman Reigns at this point, then you don't know what it's like to be in a position like his. If you don't get it, then you won't get it. But if you do comprehend where I'm coming from, then you can see that Drew McIntyre is not about being a better pick. He is just a good selection to be in that position that Roman had to relinquish. I think that Drew McIntyre is a phenomenal talent with no pun intended toward AJ who has his own match coming up and we'll get into his situation a little later. But let's pay attention to... Uh, what Drew's segment was attempting to say. It was basically a huge I told you so. It was, in my opinion, a very passionate segment. He told us about 
how how his head was working in the match last week. He was recapping what took place between himself and Kurt Angle and how Kurt Angle ended up. You know, he gave him gave him everything he had, but he couldn't 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 succumb. You know, I mean, well, part of me he couldn't he just couldn't overpower the younger, stronger, seemingly more athletic uh, Drew McIntyre. And with that, you know, with the legend being essentially destroyed, with his own finishing maneuver, Drew McIntyre officially declares that Raw is McIntyre. And I don't really know who can def- who can who can refute that. Who can argue it at all? I know Finn Balor comes to attempt to uh, show him that he's not all of that, but. You know, Drew sends in Dolph, says if you can't, well, if you could beat somebody like Dolph, then I'll come down to your level. That kind of plants the seed or opens up a door to, uh, uh, you know, what's, what's Dolph thinking about that? How's he feeling? You know, does Dolph, is Dolph aware that this is what the plan was the entire time? Do we, like, when when we first looked at this, I honestly thought, you know, months ago when Drew made his... Uh, appearance for the first time, you know, I think it was uh, after the superstar shakeup with Dolph. I said it was a seeming odd couple. They didn't really look uh, like they would mesh too well. Of course, you know, we see them and they do their thing and they travel together and it's all good. But at the end of the day, Dolph Ziggler has been compared to, or he's been made like the reference of a weak link has been made toward him. And if he is said weak link, then we'll figure out what happens as time progresses itself. But I think Dolph might have something to prove to Drew, you know, now in these coming uh, weeks. And uh, just to fast forward, Drew, I mean, well, Drew aided in the loss, but Dolph lost that match to Finn Balor based on what took place last week. So, you know. I think that put Finn on the Survivor Series team. Let's find out. So let's get into Finn Balor interrupting uh, Drew McIntyre. He was, well, Drew was trying to let everyone know what he was going to attempt to reshape Raw as. You know, he's going to try to reshape it in his image. He was going to go with the more of a law of the jungle. You know, only the strongest survive, you know, adapt or perish. That's what it reminds me of. I think that's an old school Triple H, you know, uh, adage. But either way, uh, Finn came out. And again, I think it was a disrespectful interruption, <laughs> you know, but he had, uh, he was very mad about last week, apparently. And he wanted some form of retribution. And also, he wanted to defend, you know, WWE Hall of Famer Kurt Angle, telling him that he went. And cross the line by trying to use his moves. You could see it all in Drew's face that he didn't care. And he asked him, are you just mad because I kicked your head off? This is arguable. Because now we need to see what takes place. Everyone was under the impression that Finn and Drew were going to go at it. Let's remember last week, Bobby Lashley and Finn Balor were going at it. And what we got was, uh, you know, at the end of the match... Drew McIntyre coming out to seemingly save him, but that was not what took place. 
So, to bring it all together, we had Finn attempting to show that he won't be bullied by Drew. And it doesn't matter what you say, he can take you out. He is the first ever Universal Champion. Drew has never, you know, wielded the Universal Championship. So, you know, he does have a day over him. At least a day of experience. And uh, Drew, being to the fact that he feels that he's in the, you know, top three rankings as far as Monday Night Raw goes. He took it upon himself to say, yeah, you go ahead and beat Dolph in a match and I will lower myself. Now, at first, you can see him try to, uh, what's a word to use? He tried to smooth it in and saying, you know, no matter what Shane McMahon thinks, you could take on the best in the world, Dolph Ziggler. And, you know, Ziggy didn't really, he looked as if he nonchalant. So, like, you really want me to take on Balor, though, of all people? But then when he brought in that lowering self line, you know, like, I'll lower myself to take you on if you can take out Dolph. You could see Dolph's, he's a little visible in his face, like, did you just talk down on me, bro? I mean, if we're to advocate, then I think that Drew sees himself as the brand's champion. Now, if we're looking at the brands, we have Raw and we have SmackDown. Being to the fact that he is on the Raw roster, he is looking to be the champion of the Raw roster, meaning he would be the universal champion and not just the world champion. Therefore, he would clearly already be best in the world underneath the assumption that he is attempting to be universal champion underneath the insinuation that one day he can be universal champion but the universe is much bigger than the world so the best in the world or you know one of the arguable two-thirds one-third of it he could you know, one day Dolph be Universal Champion, but he's not. He's just best in the world, or at least one third of the best. Therefore, I think that's where Drew was coming from. I don't know if he meant anything disrespectful by it. Maybe he said it to aid in motivating uh, Dolph Ziggler, and you know, we'll see what happens throughout the match. This concludes part one of uh, Blake's broadcast from the shadows. Monday Night Raw is a a giant animal, so we'll probably do two more parts. And I know that we got some giant stuff coming up, so thank you, Twizzlers, uh, for aiding with the show tonight. And uh, I will catch you guys in a little bit.